I think the important question here is, which side has more ninjas? <laughs> <laughs> but if you have more ninjas, they're less effective. No, that's true. It's, it's the country I that has that. one ninja. It's the inverse square ninja, ninja rule. If you see one, he's unbeatable. If you see 50, you can mow over them. Very well, true. They have to be I very careful believe, in how many ninjas they deploy. <laughs> I personally believe the ninjas just wind up getting in each other's way. Or is it one just is the perfect. same ninja 50 times? All ninjas are as one ninja. <laughs> <laughs> I apologize. I derailed everything. Welcome to Crucible of Realms. I'm Jim. I'm John. And I'm Kent. And we have another guest today. This is a friend of mine from Charlotte, North Carolina, Reese Ambrose. Say hello. Hello. Yay. Tell us a little bit about yourself. I do a a bit of amateur writing, mostly in conjunction with the various role-playing games that I'm in. I know Jim from my playing circle here in Charlotte. We are what we consider avid connoisseurs of role-playing in all its forms. And um, for me, that branches out into writing a bit. So this project is extremely interesting to my personal tastes uh, as far as getting together and having a good time, thinking up some great stuff, and hopefully it'll be stuff that people can use. So me in a nutshell, I like creative endeavors, whether it be drawing, writing, or role-playing. Awesome. What kind of world do we want to build tonight? As a guest, would you like to uh, set the tone? Uh, well, thank you uh, for offering. <laughs> I'd like to at least place a suggestion. Wouldn't want to dictate the pace of the evening, but no, it's too late. Whatever it is, we're doing there, it. And maybe we can <laughs> say, Kyle. <laughs> um, yeah, that's exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nazis. I, I actually had the Nazi theme in my head. <laughs> oh, believe no. it or not. <laughs> yeah. Excellent. Hey, I say we run with it. <laughs> oh, okay, that's fine. <laughs> We could do that. Uh, you know what? I like I like things rolling organically. So let's go with the uh, with the Nazi theme. Okay, something with Nazis. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, okay. it doesn't have to be Nazis per se. It can just be a very staunch organization for you know socialism and things like that, as opposed to the free flowing group that wants to be all you know whatever, whatever. Well, not that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's so, give that going around. So something perhaps that involves a militant society of some kind, something that uh, with a fascist bent. Okay, not we want quite to do- with weapons of mass destruction yet. They can still have like tanks that can deal a lot of damage, but we don't want like the A bomb or anything like that to be present. So thus far, we've got the idea of a fascist regime operating, but we don't know yet what kind of world we're putting this in. What kind of a thing do we want to do here? I mean, there's a possibility of doing like an alternate Earth. Is that what we want to go with, or do we want to go with something that's more science fiction-y, or do we want to go with something that's more fantasy-y, or um, horror-y? Um, I don't know. There are a lot of themes that tie into the whole Nazi thing that can be used to, to shape the rest of the world. Like, the whole Nazi search for, like, mystical artifacts to mm-hmm. help them win the war. Correct. Um, yep. That can go into, well, we're looking at a world with magic then. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or yeah. are they looking at that avenue and it's not going to be fruitful? So we're not looking at magic then. You know what I mean? So yeah. there, there's 
certain things that we can want for a Nazi world that like plays into what can happen in the world. And um, mm-hmm. I think the yeah. alternate Earth timeline is a good idea as well, just because it's it's something that's intuitive. People are familiar with what happened with the Nazis and everything like that. So what winds up happening is their imaginations can fill in a lot of the blanks on that. How do we feel about doing something that's kind of pulpy? Describe pulp. I'm not familiar with the... I mean, I know pulp fiction, but... So have you ever eaten oranges? No, no, wait, it's not that kind of pulp. (laughs) Like Uh, Flash Gordon, or... But uh, this would be kind of, well, it's kind of Indiana Jones type stuff, basically. Yeah. yeah. I see it as Indiana Jones, but I also want to, I also like to see that they were successful in bringing like Arcane or, or um, the occult into the world. Sure. You know I mean? That that was successful. And so the it's taken on a different skew. Okay. So it's like uh, life as we know it is different because of something that perhaps the uh, the Nazi regime succeeded so at. Did they, like, but is it like, different on a mainstream level or is it right. only? like a more like an egalitarian thing like only the elite know how to tap into this thing right you know but what i mean did they use it to win world war Two in a or part of world war Two? like right they got well, to a stalemate point and controlled yeah. europe a lot of people say that they used it to to gain the successes that they did in reality you know what i mean what they did was like ridiculous and unheard of at the time to take so much land you know what i mean so that's right. what lends fuel to in our own time Timeline: the whole Nazis searching for this mystical stuff, and that's how they were so successful. Yep. The truth is they were successful just because they got everybody with their pants down. But um, I know what you mean with looking at what happened with them gaining power. What would happen if they weren't stopped and they moved forward a little bit and we wound up mm-hmm. getting into a stalemate? I think that winds up being a specific incident that, you know, I don't know how that would play over or shape a world. You know what I mean? Well, well yeah, we can figure that bit out uh, because obviously, you know, we may need to just diverge further. We just need to see what we're doing, what happens here. I'm thinking that what we really need to address here is what is different? What is the most significantly different thing that we have going on? And what do we want to do to try to reach that? So we like the idea in which there is some sort of regime still going on, so we have two options, as I see it with that. One is that it is set during the World War II era. Mm -hmm. The other is that it is set in a world which is perhaps beyond the World War II era, but in which the Nazis or a remnant of them survived. And so which of those do we think we want to go with? In the era. I like In the the World War II era? Yep. Okay. I'm good with that. Where there's... All right. Because we can better play around with what they're achieving and just hint at it and let the people take the reins from there, if that makes sense. Sure. That's no problem. So what we need to figure out then is how things are fundamentally different in one way or another. Well, again, to pick up the question that Reese posed here, do we want the arcane to be publicly known at this point, or do we want it to be only known by the elite or the few who have sought it out? The I, right. don't, I don't think it would be publicly known, because Agreed. by and large, the German people were good Catholics. Even during World War II, I mean, you yeah. look at writings, and it's a very American Civil War position where, you know, both sides are praying to the same god right yeah it may have been like brother versus brother like the civil war you know what i mean one guy has one political feeling the other guy has another political feeling and you wind up getting orders you gotta go kill your brother you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i I definitely had that the magic is is it kind of like an underground thing or is it like the upper crust kind of thing 
I think a, a directorate, like a magical directorate inside the, yep. the government. How we devised uh, the uh-huh. atom bomb, they're right. devising their occult or, you know, their magic. Now, that's the interesting. Arcana, the Arcana bomb. Is, they get to it first before the atom bomb is unveiled, and they're able to beat us to the punch and okay. force countries all around the world to focus in on them. You know what I mean? Okay. Where we're yeah. not concerned now about Japan, we're more concerned about what's happening over in Europe and Pearl Harbor won't happen, and da 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 that sort of thing. Okay, so we're looking at then 1930s. So that also leads me to the question, do we have people in the U.S. secretly working on the arcane? I would think that just given the reality of how we normally operate, if we have a problem with foreign fuel, everybody starts turning their head towards finding coal as a power source or finding an alternate source of oil or something like that. And then all of a sudden, when the price of oil drops, it's like, oh, forget all that stuff. We got cheap oil over here. So I would think that if we were working on the atom bomb in America and they were working on the arcane bomb and they beat us to the discovery, more than likely, the atom bomb would become more of a fringe and we'd say, oh, well, we got to grab onto the technology that they're using. So the atom bomb, like the Manhattan Project, could be something that's still going on, but it's not nearly the driving force of our weapons development right. during that time. They're or turning around and trying changed to... somewhat. Right. Correct. Right. It's now driven by magic and the right. discovery that the Germans have. And now the smaller groups like over in the United States that might have been practicing holistic or natural magic are suddenly boosted and go, what the heck? This is interesting to me because it means then that in the U.S. we are working on atomic magic. Yeah. But before we start wrapping our brains around that one, I guess that Germany has discovered the source of whatever this is, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Or, or has a discovered source. a source for whatever this is. So a wellspring, yep. Yeah, we need to now figure out whatever this is so that we can um, figure out how we're going to diverge here. What is this? I say it's something like angels and demons, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. I was thinking, going, even going back, they idolized Rome. Maybe going back to that Roman era. So, like, the kinds of artifacts one would find in Greco-Roman mythology? Yeah, and weird things. Like, this is something that I listened to a podcast on a, long, a while back about Carthage. How the Romans basically, once they defeated Carthage, uh-huh. they leveled the place. Mm-hmm. Literally, and they salted the ground. Oh yeah, uh, and cursed it. I see, you know, the Nazis going there and looking for the artifacts that to the place where Carthage was, looking for those artifacts that cursed Carthage, hmm. that devastated a city. You know, basically made the city where it could never be rebuilt there. And, and that's interesting to be used against other cities in Europe that didn't fold. And maybe that's that maybe point. something that can cause uh, life to die off and the ground and everything to be infertile. Right. Well, you know what? That's the funny thing about it is that you're almost, uh, uh, to a degree, describing what happened to uh, Hiroshima and, and right. Nagasaki. Yep. You know yeah, what I mean? Yep. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's that uh, the atomic angle versus the the arcane angle. Again, it's like you're getting the same effect, but it's just using a different power source, and the way of executing it is different. You know what I mean? It'd be interesting to see storylines okay. in a in a campaign setting that would deal with the players having to thwart someone who's trying to unleash some power on that level, on the Carthage destruction level, on an American city during the 1930s. We're talking formulaic magic, I assume? 
like hermetic tradition yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. So that the idea is that once the allies figure out that, hey, they're tapping into this power, that the allies start doing the same thing to their power think, sources? Again, um, just realistically, what happens with us, we wind up gravitating towards a thing that we've seen that somebody else has made a discovery in. When one technology is being developed and another one is being developed and counter to it and the other one comes out, you know what I mean, and actually puts you on top, a lot of the times it fringes the counter technology coming out. Sometimes they continue on with it because they still think it's a much better source, so they keep going on the same track. But in this instance, you know, we're looking at, at the fact in like the 1940s, desperate for a solution to be able to take these guys out. We were doing things that we normally would not do. And think about this. If you're looking at a foe that's saying, hey, these guys are tapping into some like really old, archaic energy and it's lethal. It's messed up. This could win the war for them. The scary thing about it is all of that stuff that they're tapping into into is all over there they're yeah. sitting right on top of it we're not but we've got to really get ourselves into this thing and cut them off from it well, something i was thinking is that perhaps maybe somewhere the axis is located say ancient devices or hell siege engines or something of that nature something mm-hmm. magical in nature something that they have to use magic to activate but is it movable um, but uh well it's stationary right well it probably <laughs> right. um and wouldn't it stand to reason that there would might be other stationary maybe not as potent yes other places? yes uh, well, well totally you know and what? This would be totally like artifact based. So I mean, you could have things like uh, if someone say finds Vulcan's anvil, or someone finds, Ooh, I see, uh, like the horn of of Neptune. He says making up a, an artifact or things of that nature. Those are possibilities as well as biblical stuff. Right. If you're wanting to go with hermetic magic, there are actually a, a number of different directions you can go in. I happen to have pulled up the entry now in Wikipedia on Hermes Trismegistus. When you're talking about hermetic magic, this is where it comes from. Mm-hmm. It's a character that was put together as kind of a mashup of Hermes and Thoth, uh, the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. And what they described as the three parts of the wisdom of the whole universe were alchemy, astrology, and theurgy. Mm. Um, theurgy being the uh, practice of rituals, uh, magical right. rituals. Mm-hmm. And so I see that as something we could play with a little bit. Things where you have people who are practicing theurgy, like, say, the Thule Society and others, and then you have people who are somehow using astrology to interpret things, and then you have some sides that are using, say, alchemy. Does this sound good? Yep. That sounds good. Um, Which one is the more potent of the... They're supposed to be balanced, Mm -hmm. I would think. They're all a third of a whole. Yes. Ah. They are the three parts of the wisdom. So there are three different approaches to trying to kind of get at the same thing. Okay. You're going to get different results. If you're looking at three parts to this whole, so far we have two nations. Mm -hmm. Perhaps there's a third nation that's still left standing or like an alliance or something like that. In our world, it was the Axis versus the Allies. But with Mm -hmm. there being these three powers, um, maybe it's the Axis versus the Allies versus the neutrals. Maybe more people decide to be neutral like Switzerland and you have all of South America or um, Africa after it's liberated, or, you know what I mean, more people become a neutral party, and that becomes that third energy source. 
So then that way, settings-wise, mm. you have three areas that you could really detail and flesh out later on if you so chose. Or you could just leave that open for anyone who'd want to use the information to kind of flesh out on their own. Well, yeah. why don't we just go Europe, Asia, and the Americas? Okay. Well, yeah, you were talking about the idea that we weren't so worried about Pearl Harbor or Japan anymore. Mm. So, yeah, what if they go in their own direction? Then where does Africa fit in? So it'd be Europe and Africa versus Asia versus the Americas. How's that? I mean, well, remember, they were fighting okay. over Africa quite a bit. Uh, well, during- Northern Africa. Northern Africa. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> the rest of it, they're like... It's hot down there. <laughs> yeah. We'll send the Africa Corps down. Well, that's, that's it. Uh, you know, uh, I think it was Virgil or it was one of the early Greeks believed the gates to hell were in Africa. Because uh, it, it was that. No. <laughs> and that was, that was the idea. It was, the, oh, well, we know, you know, people get darker and it's hot. This is one of those reasons for some of that idea. Right. Uh-huh. But if we need three regions, I think that would be the best divided, you know what I mean? Yeah. Because it would be difficult to divide otherwise. Yeah. U.S. and some other allied forces, uh, sort of Central Europe, when we Eastern say, Asia. So when we say Europe versus America versus... I think we're talking probably more the Axis forces within Europe, Okay. which Actually, at this point are going to be considerable. We've already talked about the Axis really kind of winning the war in Europe and just being stalemated to the point where all three powers are kind of in... Uh, no longer in flux. They're just kind of... Well, it was kind of at that point that, remember, America hasn't gotten into the fight yet. Right. Because we're still in the 30s. I thought we were diverging a bit from the normal timeline in the sense that they have developed the arcane bomb. So I'm thinking that with the development of the arcane bomb comes the use of it, like Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's like all well and good to say, hey, we have this ultimate weapon, but without a demonstration of it, we're not looking at really having anything done. I would say a perfect demonstration of it and cementing their victory over Europe would be a use of Mm -hmm. the arcane bomb on Britain and bringing down Britain, Mm -hmm. causing them to surrender like Japan, one island for another. You know what I mean? So once Britain goes down, then it's like, okay, the Nazis have taken over Europe. Europe. So that becomes like a defining event to really kind of push things off and say, okay, this I'm yes. good with that. Are you guys good with that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's what I was getting at, is that Europe oh, okay. and mm-hmm. Africa are now one leg. If there's three legs altogether, it would uh-huh. be Asia, Europe and Africa, and the Americas, North and South. Those are our three divisions. All right. That's what I would like to see. And I like the destruction of the Germans destroying some part of Europe just to make them everyone stop and go, oh, my God, what did they just do? You know, Britain. Yep. <laughs> yeah, maybe, they, maybe they unleashed an old one. Uh-huh. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Getting Cthulhuid as well. Let's actually think about this. What did the Nazis find? What is it that they used to be able to create this arcane bomb? I like the idea of them enacting some ultimate ritual that they've unlocked, that Mm -hmm. they've researched and found of old, like how you pointed out with Rome and Carthage. It's a very easy in because the Nazis did have this huge Roman fetish. 
So it's very believable to say, oh, yeah, that's why they had the standards with the eagles and all the, you know, emblems and everything looking like the Roman legions and so on and so forth. Hitler studied a lot of it for their tactics and their, like, psychological effect of having these faceless legions, the whole stormtrooper effect. He definitely used that to his advantage, but it was something the Romans had developed to strike fear in their enemies to show, holy crap, look how organized they are. Those guys don't look like they'd break if you drop their mountain on them. So those kinds of things... So did they uncover, like, the sword of Mars, and they dropped it from the heavens onto Britain? Something that gives them a symbol to associate with, and the ritual combined to enact the effect. You know what, though? One of the things that I think of whenever I hear Nazis is the whole, like, fifth column kind of aspect as well. So the big conspiracy... Imagine having to enact a ritual where you have to get certain high-level members of your organization to cast their part. And they have to do it at a specific time and set up specific things, but they do it in secret. They go in like a spy team to get this thing set up on various points of the city to form whatever, you know, pentagram they need to form to open up some energy that's going to devastate the place like an atomic bomb went off. So instead of sending over B-52s, you're sending over a team of like a witch's coven to basically enact a spell and take out a city. Yeah, to plant things. Yeah. They took out Carthage, and they salted the ground. So maybe there's a literal component of that. Salt, yeah. What is this ritual? Where do we want to say it came from? I know that it's something that they used on Carthage. Uh-huh. So where did the Romans get well, it? Okay, so maybe this ritual itself, maybe it's not that they enact this ritual, the city is destroyed, and then afterwards they come through and they throw salt on the ground. Maybe through the ritual, the end result is almost like the whole Sodom and Gomorrah effect. Yeah. yeah. Where what it does is that the salt comes of, is like the, the symbol of the destruction that it's was the that's caused, basically. So. Yeah. If you think about it, if you think Rome and you think salt, I think the sea, Poseidon, maybe it has some connection to do with, like, the deity that oversees the sea and yeah. that where that salt comes from. So we're, okay. we're looking... Oh, we're, did they summon the Kraken? Uh, it could be. <laughs> I, I just like this idea of the this Nazi ritual being enacted in various places around around Europe, ending with Goering going up to a large conch shell and blowing into it. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> this giant tidal wave coming up and... Uh, <laughs> the Kraken. Then a lawyer show Release up. Release the Kraken! I just think that the um the symbolism is there. Oh, totally, totally. But that may okay. be even well, getting is, a little too well, specific. Getting, well, I don't know. Getting into symbolism, perhaps they found. Let's say they found the trident. Yeah. Oh, the trident. Yeah, of Neptune. That's kind of what I was getting at with the sword yeah. of Mars. Yeah, exactly. There's some item that they find that they now can enchant or you know make yeah. sacrifices to or yeah, whatever totally. it is. That they still need to enact the ritual to make it work, and that actually is part of what theurgy is. That is uh, the idea is the practice of rituals sometimes seen as magical in nature, performed with the intention of invoking the action or evoking the presence of one or more gods. So that's totally in line with all that. So. I think that they somehow got a hold of something, maybe it's looked on as a trident of Neptune, that uh, has the ability to give them control of the seas and the weather with the correct rituals, uh, to the point that you can make these massive dust clouds appear over cities, or massive energy clouds appear over cities, and take them out. I can see that working. So now, what is the defense... To make it so that the other cities don't fall prey to this, 
the other countries that are aligned with one another, what did they do in order to protect themselves from well, suffering the same fate? Well, again, I don't see this as being something that, like... You do all the time, yeah. You can just drop out of a plane. You'd right. have to get the item to where it needs to be to be able to rain down the destruction that it needs to do. Yeah. That you've got to get the teams into place. They almost operate like cells. Mm-hmm. So it's a very 1930s kind of espionage. Guys in fedoras and raincoats and stuff meeting in dark alleys, handing off envelopes with confidential on it. You know what I mean? That kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I can oh, also yeah, totally. see, see some limitations on what you can do with these rituals without changing them based on... Okay, the Romans once controlled Britain, so right. maybe those things work there because the Romans. Oh yeah. Control. Well, maybe the uh, maybe the cracks start forming along Hadrian's Wall. Right. I was I was about to say maybe Scotland and north of escaped the devastation because the spell didn't work north of the wall. Oh right, right. right. It's, it's yeah. only focused on yeah on the areas where the Romans once controlled, and they haven't mm-hmm. figured out how to expand it. Uh-huh. Yeah. Winston Churchill forced to flee to Ireland. Does he survive? There you go. <laughs> Ireland, Scotland, you know, become yeah. the seat of the empire. I'm sure the locals would be very happy about that. Maybe Ireland yeah, just hands them right back over. <laughs> There's a potential for a lot of espionage there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's why they haven't been able to expand the war with magic to the United States. Well, the U.S. is going to be working on something else, right? Right, that's what I'm saying. They've conquered Europe, yeah, but suddenly reached the limit of where they can project that power. And so Mm -hmm. now there's kind of a, okay, how do we expand this? Well, they still have, in addition to, you know, guns and tanks and all that, their regular ritual magic that wouldn't necessarily be object-based that they can make work. They just can't create that level of devastation on the other continents yet. The big bang. How about this? Looking at the way that we've kind of divided up things geographically, the type of energy that the Nazis are using tap into this kind of like uh, Greco-Roman pantheon seems like that's where we're going with fueling that energy source that they're the ones to first kind of tap into. Right. With the Americas, that geographic region that we've divided up there, what if the energy that they're tapping into is like the energy that the Native Americans tapped into and everything like that. So it's much more of a tribal primal kind of energy, whereas like how you were saying with the devastation that was made in Britain stopped north of Hadrian's Wall because the Picts had a lot in common as a tribal people with the Native Americans over here. So maybe that energy is what stopped their domination and they may not even fully understand this in the greater scope of things. But these energies have been battling each other for eons. The people are only the latest tools in the overall war between these energies. So what winds up happening is back in the day when the Romans were the forebearers of the power from Europe and Africa, they clashed with the Picts, who were the forebearers of the power from the Americas area. And Hadrian's Wall marks the line where one energy couldn't go further on either side. You see 
what I'm saying? Yep. That's what's been keeping them. They're trying to find a way to break that stalemate. Mm-hmm. And the setting could be much more involved around the bold moves that are trying to be made to break the stalemate. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So all yeah. of the schemes and machinations on all three sides to break this great struggle, this great stalemate that's lasted I- for eons. Oh, yeah. And like you were saying earlier, I can see them sending spies and such on to try to plant different Oh, yeah. things in different areas to try to complete their own ritual circles. Mm-hmm. Right, uh, right. To try to make their magic effective in those areas. If we've got Americas as the tribal, uh-huh. then we've got Roman in Europe, what is Asia? What, Asia, what are they pulling That on? being like that whole that whole section of Oriental magic, Onis and Wujen wizards and Tengyokai and, you know what I mean? They, that whole people shape-shifting into animals and things like that whole, like, tribes out in the mountains, that kind of energy from them. They also did potions and things, oh, yes. correct? Well, uh, alchemy could be big over alchemy, there. Really? Well, you see, this is interesting then because strangely enough this uh, if we're looking at it through this or rather if i'm looking at it through this kind of a lens because i know that the mayans and such were big into astrology strangely enough this uh wisdom of the universe thing still holds up because you'd have sort of in the americas more of the stargazing thing kind of uh, motion of the world type of natural magic dominating and uh, then as you were saying that uh, alchemical magic might actually be able to do incredibly well over in the sort of the Asian area mm-hmm. right and that's basically those are the three parts correct yeah. <laughs> alchemy astrology and thergy that's interesting how that falls into place there correct um, oh. what will the people in the US be trying to apply this kind of natural magic to okay um, how will we, they be trying to make it work will they be trying we, to combine it with their atomic research for example how about this we know that during World War II that the U.S. counterintelligence agency used Native Americans, I believe they were Navajos, as code breakers. The wind talkers. Okay. Mm-hmm. So getting these guys and them coming in and saying, hey, we can offer assistance, and they start telling their mumbo jumbo, and, you know, I can see them being like, you guys are full of it. But then they start hearing about what's going on in Europe, and they're like, oh, maybe these guys have something. So they mm-hmm. bring them in, and they start tapping into. Various holy sites. Um, I can see all kinds of archaeological digs going on over there, trying to figure out or recapturing energies, to, uh, like expanding reservations and things like that, just because it's like, okay, well, these people used to be over here, and these are their stories and things like that. So I could see a lot of Native American involvement with it. And Machu then, Picchu is a very, that becomes the South American research center, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's their, North American their, counterpart. Nice. It's North American counterpart. Could be the, um, what are those, uh, Navajo cliff dwellings? That could be like a Native American high energy source. You know what I mean? Where is uh, that? It's in Arizona. Yes. Ah, excellent. So we get to keep Area 51 after all. Yes. Exactly. <laughs> well, and, and it's not, yeah, and you got to think about it. It's not too far away from Trinity, where the Alamoguardo, all those places where we tested atomic bombs, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah, this is true. Yeah. This is true. That's awesome. <laughs> it's crazy how that works out. So we've got two kind of important locations where a lot of research and work is done. Machu Picchu and the areas around sort of Arizona, New Mexico, uh, testing sites, Area 51. But uh, in Europe, what do we think are the most important sites that we'd want to, or in, in sort of Europe and northern Africa, what are we kind of looking at here? Well, well, it can't be anything in Britain. <laughs> uh, not wrong. anymore, no. <laughs> it's gone. If we're talking uh-huh. about the Greco-Roman 
Oh, so you want it over influence the Greeks? It, well, no, it's going to have to be in those areas where they held sway, so you've obviously so, got... When did Schleiman find Troy? When did the guy when find did... Troy? Yeah. We Schleiman. find Troy? I think this was in the 1800s. 1868. Okay. What do you mean? 1868? That's, that's when they rediscovered it. Okay, so that's a little too far back. But they, well, that means that they already have it by that point. But I guess getting back to it, what do we want to talk about as sites? I mean, we've got a number of interesting candidates already. I mean, we can talk about Troy, we can talk about Carthage, we can talk about Rome itself. Moving to Africa, we can talk about Egypt. What do we like? I think one of them needs to be Gibraltar. Gibraltar? Like the, uh, you know, the Pillars of Hercules. You know, it's that point that controls the entry Ooh. to the Mediterranean. Mediterranean, maybe, yeah. Maybe they're trying to figure out how to turn it into a giant gun. Water <laughs> <laughs> fight. Pointed west. Water gun. <laughs> I think that needs to be a side of power. I don't think it necessarily needs to be a, the major one. but The, the main one. No. But, it's but, a good yeah, idea. Gibraltar, certainly. And if we're going with a water theme, why not Victoria Falls in Africa? Victoria Falls. I'm not actually familiar with that site. Really? It's like... Ten times larger than Niagara Falls. It's like humongous. I am looking it up now. Victoria Falls. Oh, it is. Nice. Uh, It's on the Zambezi. Yep. Uh Down in Africa. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. All right. I can play with that. Yeah, actually, yeah. If we're going water-themed, Gibraltar and and Victoria Falls are both very appropriate. Just because. For landmarks um, in Asia, I'm seeing Mount Fuji in Japan. Nice. Mm -hmm. Always good. Okay, my favorite Bat? name, Ulaanbaatar. That's Mongolia. Mongolia, yep. That's my favorite capital name. In- Ulaanbaatar? Yeah. But that's a city, right? But it, yeah. yeah, it's uh, Mongolia. But is it an ancient? Is it still in existence oh. today? Oh yeah, oh yeah. yeah. Ulaanbaatar. That's where the Khan was from, Genghis Khan. Mm-hmm. Oh yes. really? They show here the Gobi Desert, Mount Everest in Nepal. Nepal, I'm telling you, that should be a point there. Tarok George, I'm not sure what that is. T-A-R-O-K-O-G-O-R-G-E, I wonder what that is. It's in Taiwan, China. Yeah, Gorge. Where does Australia stand? It'd be interesting if they were (laughs) a place apart with their aboriginal, you know... The whole dream time thing. Yeah, and if they became the power of neutrality. It's like, we're just (laughs) staying out of it. Sort of the metaphysical Switzerland. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Ladies and gentlemen, you heard it here first. Australia is the metaphysical Switzerland. <laughs> Write that down. Well, it seems like we have a lot of potential sites just sort of springing up as possibilities in Asia. What grabs us the most? I think Mount Fuji grabs me a lot. Yeah. Um, but uh, what do we want as our second? There are a lot that got thrown out here that sound really good. We could go to bed if we wanted to, but there's a lot of fighting still going on there at this time, I think. Are you talking about well, in our own use- world? or We can do whatever we want. Anything okay. we want. <laughs> I would think that with these with powers, power. with the new division of the world into three major powers, a lot of that would be kind of squashed. You know what I mean? Especially with the way things are in Asia. It's like, um, okay, well, you're either with them, with us, or with the other guys. Well, and if yeah. you're not with us, we're going to crush you. So... You know, it's like, yeah. whereas Northern Korea may be like, we want to be a part if China were to go, no. <laughs> Things would be bad for Northern Korea. So well, I was going to would... say, this also gives us access to fighting monks. Right. Sweet. Well, that's right. That Ulaanbaatar was founded by Buddhist monks. You got my so, point, man. But we, <laughs> I think a geographical feature would be good since that's mm-hmm. kind of what we're leaning toward. What we're being leaning um, toward. Because Ulan 
Batur could be an important city over there for this anyway, but uh, what right. was that gorge you were talking about? Taroko Gorge. Curious about that now, because that sounds interesting. It's Taiwan, China. You or you could, the, even do, you could even do the two mountains, Mount Fuji and Mount Everest. They're all southern, but you don't have anything in the north. Mongolia is fairly far north in that region. But, I mean, Russia's so, still even beyond is, that. Is Russia... Well, oh, yeah. that's the question. Is Russia Europe? Oh, yeah. No. Uh, no they uh, kind of tried to be neutral for a, quite a while. and We could I say think. parts of Russia. Like, Russia got yeah. cut. Right. Yeah, I can see that. There's happening. European Russia and there's... And there's Asian Russia. Russia. So I think the one resting with China on their border, but the minute you get over towards Germany and that part, that all gets kind of cut off and absorbed over there. I'm thinking that for Asia, I'm just right now writing down Mount Fuji, Taroko Gorge, and Mount Everest. Okay. And just kind of leaving it at that for now. And kind of play with those as we go along. Okay, so we've got these areas, these locations, which is good. Now I think we need to start playing with the factions a little bit. Because we now have... A lot of locations where a lot of sort of main action of any sort of stories people would write and what have you are going to be taking place. But we need groups of people that we can play with here. Now, we've already got one uh, in the U.S. that John brought up. John, you talked about the Wind Talkers. Those were the Native Americans they were bringing in to do coding, I believe. Well, they could talk in a practically unbreakable language. Right. They were native speakers of a language that it was almost impossible for the enemy to decipher. So... Um, I think, yeah, I think if you use them, then maybe one of the big things in any kind of conflict is communications. Maybe mm-hmm. they can talk to each other wherever may, the others are. I'm thinking maybe they can talk to the Earth. Right, okay. And, well, and of course, Earth. to the wind, because that's... Uh, <laughs> Well, but no, they can talk to, this is pre-satellite communication. So they're big on being able to reach each other regardless of where they are. Right. Over great distance. So they make great spies because they can go someplace, see something, Mm. and report. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, Okay. Yeah, that's that's perfect because um, one of the things that really kind of puts us head and shoulders over a lot of the opposition that we see out there today is our ability to communicate in battle situations and be able to send information back and forth very easily, commanding the skies. I, I think the whole aspect that you were talking about of the three different types of magic, astrology, alchemy and and theurgy yep you know air earth and water something like that yep right if that's if that's a big part of the power in the in the americas the whole divination of astrology and being able to communicate back and forth yeah sending that information that's a good advantage that is believably worked into the story oh yeah totally something in my brain is telling me it would be good for us to have at least two groups in each region does that sound fair for, what do you mean, two groups? That, like, uh, we've got the Navajo, and then we want somebody else? Yes. The idea is that just dramatically so there are people to play off of at home and then also abroad. So if we had a second group of people doing something in the U.S. I know, that's so specific. I would like to see that be the fringe group that are still working on the atomic bomb. Ooh. I, I would like that, too. Scientists. Um, so yeah, and so, I mean, we've got basically Einstein's club. 
Yes, um, that would be awesome. <laughs> that would be great. And uh, have they incorporated any of this kind of magic with an astrological bent into their thoughts and designs? They're getting there. They haven't reached the full infusion. Let's put it that way. All right. And you have to kind of realize that religion did play a big part in Einstein's theories. He set a lot of limitations on what he expected a divine being would think like. And a lot of the times he was like, because his idea was that there was a gardener and existence was his garden. And he put everything together. He planted these plants next to each other for a reason. That works out ridiculously well. <laughs> That's the way Einstein thought. You know what I mean? Yeah. God he was like, so how my equations need to work is that they need to reveal to me the actions of the gardener by looking at how he did things, why he planted this plant next to each other. That tells me something about the person who planted them. Okay, this may sound like totally out of left field, so let me know if it is. Uh, but I can almost see these guys, if they follow that kind of idea, and they're starting to try to study more about this nature magic type thing to be able to figure out how they can split the atom or do it effectively. I don't know, maybe I can see them starting to uh, have these things going on in greenhouses where, they, uh, mm-hmm. where they're they sort of cultivating these or, or working on maybe some kind of plant magic or something, <laughs> which I, I know think- is kind of weird, but may- that might actually it's going to be something uh, where they combine it with angle. chemistry a little bit, but it's... Uh, nature and nature with the chemistry. Yeah. Natural with the chemistry. I see what you're saying. I, the I, devastation of pine cones. Yeah. This is only half formed in my head, so I'm not sure exactly where I'm going with it yet, but... Uh, <gasps> the pineapple. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it, in fact, is a grenade. <laughs> nice. Well, maybe that's the thing. Maybe that's their thing. Maybe they're developing new types of explosives, maybe smaller explosives that you can activate through some arcane means, some natural means, things that they can do with landmines that go off not so much based on someone stepping on them as they go off when you give the proper signal through the earth. Ooh. Yes. <laughs> Seismic what about, explosion. What about being able to deliver them through the earth? Mm, burrowing mines. So, so they're working on arcane WMDs. <laughs> yeah, but haven't, they haven't quite got there. Let's, let's, yeah. let's yeah. keep it within the, this person, you know, this region can't affect that one because of limitations. Oh, yeah, yeah they haven't figured out how to do this abroad yet. That's the tricky thing. But they're working. They can do it on their own their own land, which is kind of, yeah. It's, but yeah, they can't do it out. It's very interesting, because, and that's what this whole thing is about. Everyone can do it on their own land, but they're trying to get to their place. So I like that. I like that idea. Are we good good with that, or did we want to throw anything else on this no, Einsteinian I group? I think we're good. Okay. Uh, we're Sounds good for good. the Americas. Uh-huh. We need to... Let's move east. Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think the... And, uh, I think Asia needs to be fleshed out a bit more. I was thinking, okay, that's a bit further east than I was yeah, going initially. I was going for right. the Africa thing. We can jump around. That's okay, though. So in Asia, they're going to be kind of more alchemically based to an extent. Mm-hmm. We have uh, people working at Mount Fuji, Taroko Gorge, possibly Everest. Are we including India in the Asian area? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. So kind of west of India, you get more into lands controlled by the Nazis. Right. And kind of east of India, you get into areas more in control of, well, probably what, Japan is probably okay. controlling a lot of the stuff in Asia right now. Right. Okay, so let's say Saudi Arabia has the Persian Gulf, 
Caspian Sea is just above it on the northern side of Iran. There's an imaginary line driven between Caspian Sea and Persian Gulf that divides that. So Saudi Arabia is part of Europe. Iran, mm-hmm. the eastern part of Iran and Pakistan and all that are Asia. Okay, so we say that that's where the natural line ends? Correct. Yeah. Okay. We yeah, we can do that. So draw that line and go straight up from the western part of the Persian Gulf, where it wraps up around Iran, and then starts going straight towards the Caspian Sea. That is the division right there. And just draw that line straight up through Russia, and that's your divide. So what we need to figure out now are a couple of groups. I kind of like the idea of maybe one of them being more specifically Japanese, and then one being from somewhere further west into Asia. So hold on. The Imperial Japan uh, Nazi team-up never happened? Well, here's the thing. They've got to work on their own thing now because Because the Nazis discovered the power, right? Correct. So, well, actually, let's address that. Do we want Japan to continue to be part of the Axis, or do we want them to drop out once they see what's happening? I think they focus on their own and say, we have a working knowledge of a similar technology. We're going to go forward with that. Screw you guys. Right. I say there's we're taking our packs. ball and we're going home. Yep. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. We're taking our ball and we're going to throw it really hard at you guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dodgeball. Well, that's interesting then because there's a kind of a major conflict then going on. They're still in, in conflict with China then, aren't they? Oh, yeah. No. They, they occupied most of China. I shouldn't say there shouldn't be any conflict now. Those two powers should be working on the same power. They're on the same grid. (laughs) Correct. Japan did say, you will follow us, and this is what we're doing. And China went, "Uh, okay. You know, so then they focused on that. Okay, so what do we want? uh, Your power is more superior to ours, and we will da-da-da-da. Let's think of a a theme for an Asian group. Theme. Who would it be? What would it be? Well, we've got to do the monks, I think. It'd be interesting to see imperialists and communists. The imperialist would be all for like the various nations keeping their identities as as these various nations, but all kind of united in the purpose of finding this way to have a regional kind of power. We're the re, we're the dominating superpower area in the world. Whereas the communist would be more along the lines of no, we need all of this area: China, Japan, Mongolia, Indonesia. You know what I mean? All of these areas. We all need to pool our resources, and and just everybody puts into this pool, and we all give out equally, even though we know that's not really going to happen. But that's the yeah. way the communists were. I would say the imperialists have more of the momentum right now, whereas they're like, okay, well, Japan is trying to be the first ones to come up with the power so that they could have the bragging rights but china's like no, no no they're all working together it's more of a friendly competition but they're each working diligently to try to make the breakthrough on picking up the power for this okay. area this group that's uh, focused more on imperialism what are they like and how big are they the whole imperialist aspect is you have the imperial system where there's an emperor and each region has its king and keeps a part of its culture and keeps that intact but these kings pay homage to the emperor so the emperor in japan is basically like look we could spend all this time fighting or you all can just unite under me yeah certainly you keep your area 
would this imperialist group, let's say, would they be, is this a group of alchemists, say? Mm-hmm. Um, yep. I would say definitely they would be heavy into that. I would, I could see the emperor has his cadre of alchemists that serve him in various ways, divining the future, putting together uh, potions and poultices that he uses to extend his life <laughs> beyond normal means. And not only that, but developing their ultimate weapon or their version of the ultimate magic, that kind of stuff, each of the various kings could have their cadre of alchemists that serve them. Or you could have the right. emperor being an alchemist himself, and that's what made him the emperor, was the fact I would that like, he, he was a practitioner. I would like to think that maybe there is an associated group, uh-huh. uh, perhaps a national group, right. of these alchemists, that they belong to some kind of the national uh, alchemy society. society? Yeah. <laughs> Well, something, yeah, where they pool their resources. The NAS. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, something like that, maybe. It doesn't have to be official, or it can be official. Um, but uh, well, that's the question. Maybe they're maybe all, they're involved I, in the spying. It's one yeah, thing about say, I, Asian societies. They are huge on bureaucracies. So it would be something that's part of the government. Whether it's a, a, an imperial government or a communist government, it would be something that's part of the government. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It can certainly be a government-sponsored thing. That's not a, that's not a problem. So is this more of a studious group, or are they more warlike, or what do they do? You can have various aspects of it. You Remember, you're going to have research and development, and you're going to have the weapons division and the military divinations. If it's a bureaucracy, you can have people that work in all kinds of positions within it. There might be something in the alchemy that was behind the Chinese creating gunpowder. Oh. There might be something there that we can... Well, It's an interesting thought. We can work at it as, as in a sort of a bureaucratic association, but I'm thinking about this as maybe it's been a, a group that's been around for a long time. Right. And has uh, worked towards things like the gunpowder. And then perhaps, because there's also the whole idea of the elixir of life, maybe they're people who have been working to keep the emperors alive for longer than perhaps they're supposed to. I think the group is named Panacea. Panacea? Where do I know that name from? It's a Greek goddess, but it's the goddess of healing. It's the ultimate elixir. It's the elixir of life. It's the Panacea. Elixir of Ite. So we're talking but, about uh, these factions. You want yeah. well, communism... I, I, so I would say China, Mongolia, and Russia make up the communist faction. All the little islands south and wrapping around over to Japan pay homage to Japan's emperor. Yeah, well, and uh, nominally, true. nominally, perhaps more of them might have to pay homage, but they may be more heavily influenced by this communist section, mm-hmm. this communist group. Let's go ahead and talk a little bit more about this communist group. What size group are we talking about here? Are we talking about a large blob of a thing, or are we talking about a specific group? Are we talking about the countries that we named, Mongolia? Oh, we should also include Korea in that. Uh, Mongolia, Korea, China, and Russia. Those areas are considered more in control by a a communist government than than the imperialist governments uh, further to the south. Yeah. And that's fine, but what would be kind of a group that would be in support of that, that we could use as an identifier, some kind of a... uh... You mean a subgroup within it? Yeah, that's fine. I'd like to have something where I can see characters jumping out at me. You see what I'm saying? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, if we're going for a spy theme, we need some some enemies here, some... So the KGB or what? The KGB's good. Yeah, that's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> the KGB should be it should be more of the sword of that that organization. It's almost like the 
the the Russian high command. You know what I mean? Um, That's actually not a bad idea. Maybe Russia would still think themselves powerful enough, whether they were or not, yeah. uh, to try to uh, to take things back. No offense to anyone out there listening who may be Russian. This is more of a historical interpretation type thing. So yeah, I could see that maybe there is like a KGB group, or it is the KGB that's mm-hmm. kind of trying to work with things. I have no idea how old the KGB is, but they probably were around back then. Mm-hmm. Let's see, the, the Cheka, it says here. Okay, yeah, that was the organization prior to the KGB. was renamed mm-hmm. by Lenin's regime in 22 as the State Political Directorate. See, and it didn't actually become the... It became the NKGB in 41, so actually it's still probably the political directorate. Which is... Oh, that's great. Cheka? OGPU. Yes, it was originally Cheka, and then in 22 it got renamed the OGPU. It was influenced by Stalin in the 30s. I could see the Soviet or the communist contribution to that area's power being more along the lines of propaganda, espionage. I could see the communists being the mundane arm in that partnership, whereas they're keeping on the physical fight and manufacturing of tanks and stuff like that. They're the physical powerhouse of that area, whereas the southern places in Japan, India, Indonesia, all those places are much more tapped into the mystical aspect. Metaphysical, Um, yep. Metaphysical aspect, exactly. They're the ones that are really pushing the boundaries of alchemy and trying to keep pace in that global arcane arms race, basically. I don't see the whole KGB aspect of them really delving into the whole metaphysical aspect of it. The Russians were very, very hands-off of mystical. I can see that. It's interesting to have an entirely mundane uh, yep. group running around there. Because any good tank is a really big tank. Well, yes. Exactly. <laughs> but if we put the limits around, we don't have fireball magic. We have much larger... And you're going to need mundane organizations to run the world. Oh, sure, absolutely. Yep. Right. Well, let's move back to the middle now. In the European Axis area, the two factions we want to play with, one probably is, I'm guessing, the Nazi Party. Of course. Right. <laughs> nah. You have to have Nazis. Within the uh, the Nazi Party, we have the Thule Society. That's where they get their arcane stuff. The wonderful part here is this is all well documented, so there's very little I actually that we actually have to make up well, with respect we, to that. Well, there's, that's we need a second part, and we need a second one, yeah. yeah. So we've got those. That takes care of itself. The Thule Society found the Trident, I assume. That's where they've got a hold of all that. So then the second group in the European area, what do we want to play with? That area is Europe and Africa. That's a huge area of land that the other power I would see over there would have to be African. Do we want to play with something Egyptian, maybe? That's still, in my opinion, far too north. Too far north? Okay. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I agree. Just because I agree. it's like so much more of the country is down there, and there's a huge power base that I could see even the Nazis saying, mm-hmm. okay, well, you know what? Um, This is survival here, so we're going to have to team up with these guys, or we're going to lose big. Okay. You know, so, Aborigines of Africa? 
I'm talking about now, like the people that perpetrated Rwanda. You know what I mean? Those kind of like African warlord, nasty kind of stuff come up around that era because it's like, hey, you know what? Um, There's all this fighting up north. They've kind of withdrawn from us. I'm going to kill those guys over there that have been my traditional enemies for like 300 generations. (laughs) You know, nobody's looking. I'm going to take them out while I got the chance. That kind of thing going on down there. You you had what amounted to, if I am recalling correctly, entire, uh, almost like entire nations of mercenaries. <laughs> right. And think about it. There's a huge amount of strange religious customs and voodoo and exactly oh. sympathetic magic and things yeah. like that. Very true. Very true. So if we want to pick one thing to kind of focus on as a group from which right. uh, people might develop characters or that kind of thing, what uh, what would we play with? Do we want something that's like a confederation of warlords? I like the confederation of warlords. You know what I mean? You can really come up with some great diversity of characters coming out of that. Do we like that? Yeah. Maybe somebody who declares themselves the first king of Africa or something Mm. like that. That would be interesting. If there's one thing that Africa really has never been is united. Yeah. So Maybe someone's trying to do it. Right. That's what I'm getting. Yeah. Somebody, the first warlord or something of that nature. Okay. That would be great. Is there anything anyone would like to throw in additionally at this point? Any other sort of wild little things that they want, uh, that, that we need to play with that we haven't played with yet? Oh, yes. In Asia, who has more monks? Is it monks versus ninjas? Is that what yeah. we're having? Uh, nice. Well, if that's the case, then that means the communist side has more monks. Is that <laughs> what we want? Do we want the communists to have a monk option? Okay. Well, the problem is, is the communists, if they don't believe in religion... I have a feeling that uh, the monks are all, are kind of by themselves, like they've always been. Kind of independent. You know what? It'd be interesting to have that little island of neutrality in there. You're going to have those all over the place, but yeah. Right, right. As far as the monk aspect goes, whenever I think of monks and I hear anything associating with Russians, I think of Rasputin. So, Ah, (laughs) yes. There's the Bolshevik aspect of the Russians. If Rasputin Uh, is still alive, he ended up probably on the Axis side of of the... yeah. Of the that divide, would a, geographically. That'd be an awesome character to kind of throw in there, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Rasputin's well, still running can... around somewhere, still being yep. still alive. Well, of course he's still alive, he's gotta be. So, what's our goal right now? What's going on? We just need to name a few of these groups that don't have names already, and uh, I think we're good. So, okay. What groups are these? Well, we have the Wind Talkers. Now, in the U.S., uh, the group of scientists, do we want to call them something? These scientists that are now... Call it the Manhattan Project. We could call it that quite easily. Just say that that was all folded into the Manhattan Project? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah we can do that. Uh, let's see. We've got the Nazi group names. We need... The South African. Yep. Yes, we need the Warlord Cluster here, or possibly someone trying to be the first king of Africa, which is interesting. What do we want to name that group? I think it would be interesting for them to try to make it sound like, oh, here's something nice and rational, but in reality is just this horrible organization of thugs, like the United Tribes of Africa, you know what I mean, or the United Tribes of the Congo, or whatever, or something like that. But it sounds all regal and official and stuff, but then when... You have, like, a meeting of the warlords, you know what I mean, where the first warlord's going to preside over it. It's all posturing and all these guys surrounded by their thugs with machine gun bullets going across their chests and crap like that. It's just really <laughs> nasty and, and yes. kind of dirty. Right, the uh, African Union or the... Um, yeah. yeah, that works. 
So we have an African Union and someone trying to become the king of the African Union? Mm-hmm. I would say we'd have someone who's declared himself that, but it's not something that anybody was in a position to argue with him about. So it's like they're just all kind of waiting for him to overextend himself yeah. at the wrong time, and all <laughs> hell's going to break loose, nice. you know? Nice. Okay. Yeah, no, cool. I like that. All right. So then we have the Asian groups. We've got the Directorate, which is the communist group. That's We mm-hmm. already know what that's called. And then the alchemical group, the Imperial Alchemical Group. I know you were talking about Panacea earlier. It doesn't have to be that. I just uh, uh, the the only reason I kind of shy away from it is just because of the, uh, Greek. Of the Greek. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. We've got to come Greek up with an Asian. What's the Asian equivalent? Also remember that if the Emperor of Japan is going to be the leader of the imperialist yeah. side of that power, yeah, it would probably just be kind of dominated with a Japanese name. Yes, yes, definitely. I almost want to call it like the Imperial Spirit Refinery, but not exactly that. How about the Dynasty of the Rising Sun? Or or we could go with the Dynasty of the Rising Sun. (laughs) (laughs) That works. That's much better. Thank you. (laughs) Or something about the Dynasty of the Lotus Blossom or... Ooh, that sounds good, too. Yeah, I, uh, I'm I'm real hesitant to use Dynasty, though. Dynasty indicates like a... How about the Imperial Order of the Rising yeah. Sun or the Lotus Blossom? Okay. I like do we like Imperial yeah. Order? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's fine. Okay, the Imperial right. Order of the... Do we want the Rising Sun or the Lotus Blossom? Lotus Blossom. Definitely. Lotus Blossom sounds good. Imperial Order of the Lotus Blossom. It is done. Okay. Now, there is one more thing we need to name, and that is this setting. What do oh, we want to call this? Yes. <laughs> Once again, we have come to the point where we must name the scenario. What well, do we want to call it? If this is because the Nazis actually succeeded in devastating Britain, it needs to be based around that, I would think. So if the Nazis had actually succeeded, what would they have called their world? What would the Nazis have called their world or this? Mm-hmm. The Reich. The Reich. Reich, the Third Reich. It was going to be a thousand-year Reich. I'm thinking if the Germans were infamous for naming operations that they had, like the German Blitz. If we're talking about naming it off of the tragedy that would happen in Britain, with it being pretty much decimated, they would have a name for that operation. It all came from Neptune's trident, so why not yeah, something right. like the Reich of the Trident, or something? I don't know. Yeah, so yeah, that could work, or something like that. Let's get the trident in there, because that's what yeah. all... Poseidon's Reich. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> you know, actually, I like that. Do it. Yeah, that works. <laughs> okay, do we want this to be more Roman, or, or is it okay if we delve into Greece with Oh, this? it's got to be... No, it has to be Neptune's Reich. Neptune's yeah. Reich? Yeah, Neptune's it has to be Neptune's, yeah. Oh, excellent. It's got to be Neptune's Reich, yeah. Okay. Because we have right, to keep so, with the right theory right. or the right. Uh, <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, very good. The setting yeah. is Neptune's Reich. So uh, there that we is. have it. This will be something that we're going to go ahead and put into the wiki. And so you'll be able to access that at some point. So sometime after this episode drops, you should be able to find that in the wiki. I'm not sure exactly how fast. We're still working on exactly how that works. And once again, if you would like to make use of the Neptune's Reich setting in your writing or in your games, feel free. All you have to do is credit the podcast. It is freely available under Creative Commons. Reese, thanks very much for joining us tonight. Thanks for having me, fellas. This was a lot of fun. Thanks. 
Yeah, thank you for coming out. No problem. I hope for a future invite. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much for listening, folks. We appreciate it. And uh, this is the part where we're all supposed to say goodbye. Yeah, say goodbye, folks. <laughs> goodbye, folks. <laughs> Have a good night. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Crucible of Realms. Do you have comments or a question? Have you used one of our settings? Tell us about it. You can contact us at podcast at crucibleofrealms.com or leave a review for us on iTunes. We'd really appreciate it. Or if you'd like to contact one of the hosts individually, you can find our emails on the website at crucibleofrealms.com. From there, you can check out the wiki with all the settings we've created so far. Those settings and this podcast are released under a Creative Commons Attribution 3.0 license. The opening and closing theme was composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. <laughs>